All right, uh, welcome to the well. If you're a guest with us, my name's Al. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an honor and privilege to preach God's word to you. We're in 1 Corinthians, and so if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. It will be on the screens, but if you need a Bible, one of our ushers will bring you one. Just raise your hand, and we'll get it to you. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going verse by verse through this great book of the Bible. Uh, it'll, it'll take us, so what we'll be doing is we'll be in 1 Corinthians all the way through uh, about Father's Day, and then after that we'll do a particular unique uh, uh, sermon series through the summer that is focusing on uh, spiritual disciplines, then we'll jump back into 1 Corinthians to finish out the year in the fall, and so that's where we're headed. We're going to go, we're going quickly, but, uh, but slow enough to pull over and, and make some comments on on the unique saga that's going on in, in Corinth. So if you haven't been here, you haven't been with us through our study in 1 Corinthians, this church has gone wild. Uh, they are suing one another. That's what we're talking about today. Just imagine, church 40, 50, uh, up to 80 people, you know, they already have teams. They have teams, they have, they, they, they have one group of people that follows this pastor, another group of people who follows the other pastor, like 40, 50, even up to 80 people, so four different teams they have, you know, so it's the church is divided into maybe groups of 20, and then they're suing one another. I don't know if they're suing that, you know, this team, it's like Bloods and Crips, and they're just going to court. It's just, I don't know, it's just a new day in Corinth, and I don't know what is going on, and the Apostle Paul is, is wondering the same thing. Why are you guys acting this way? What in the world are you thinking? Why are you behaving in such a way? And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, and so, uh, but additionally, the big point I want you to see today is not so much um, Christians suing Christians. Should they do that? What the heck is going on there? But uh, we will answer that question. But the thing I want us to see today is that Jesus changes people. He changes people. This is Paul's point that they're not living changed. They, they're, they're living like they're, they're still not Christians. They, we talked about it last week in their, their, their sex life. They're acting like non-Christians. And the way they, they are tolerating uh, things that God forbidden, forbids, they're acting like non-Christians. The way they're uh, picking teams and, and being divisive, uh, they're, they're acting like non-Christians. The way they're uh, even now uh, dealing with, with grievances with one another, they're acting like non-Christians. But he keeps reminding them, you are Christians, Jesus has saved you. You've been set free. You've been transformed. Live like it. Act like it. And so today he's looking at the, the point of, 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 their, of their grievances one, with one another and how they should handle themselves, how they should conduct themselves. And he's going to address the, the sin that they, they are uh, committing against one another. And so the, the big idea is Jesus changes people and therefore change people, live changed lives. That's what I want us to get today. We'll get to it by the end, but, but we will pull over, talk about some of the drama that's going on in the, in the Corinthian saga. So if you've got a Bible, look on the screens if you need to. Trivial cases, unrighteous judges, and judging angels, that's where we're starting. Verses 1, chapter 6. When one of you has a grievance with one another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous, ju- uh, un- the unrighteous instead of the saints? Unrighteous, he's referring to non-Christians, uh, judge, courts, uh, that the system there. Uh, or saints, he's referring to Christians within the church. That's what the word saint means. Some of you, Roman Catholic background, are like, saints are the dead guys. He's not asking to go pray to the dead or something weird like that. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about live, living Christians in the church. Um, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Some of you are like, I did not know that. We'll talk about that. If the world will be judged by you, are you, not, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that you are to judge angels? 
how much more than matters pertaining to this life. So here's what's going on in Corinth. They're, uh, they're, they're suing one another. They're taking one another to court. Just imagine, like, you're at your community group, and you're at your, it's time to pray, and you're like, hey, I got a prayer request. And they're like, what is it? I'm going to court next week. You know, you know Pastor Joe, is, he's, he's suing me, and uh, I need prayer. You know, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird, but we pray that the Lord delivers a mighty blow to his lawsuit. And, and Joe's at his group going, you know, <laughs> there's someone in that other group down there. We're praying that uh, we win this lawsuit. And the, the, the leaders and everyone in the community group are like, what are you all suing each other for? Why is this happening? Like, yeah, well, when he was house-sitting, you know, he, uh, he left the door unlocked, and, uh, you know, just uh, the, the air, you know, it was, door was unlocked, and then he left the door open one night, and, you know, we just, we just, it just wasn't great, but then the, our electric bill is now really high, because it was in the Texas in the summer, and, you know, the back door was left open, and, you know, it's just, it's really high electric bill, and so we're suing him, because we've had to pay $60 more on our electric bill this week than uh, last week, and so we're, we're suing him. And they're like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. You should sue him. Like the, the church, this is what he calls trivial cases. We'll get to in a moment. They're just suing each other frivolously because that's their mode of dealing with conflict. They're looking at the way the, 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 the culture in Corinth deals with conflict. and They're adopting that and adding it to uh, the, their way of living. Jesus has given us a different path, and we'll talk about it here in a moment, but that is what they're doing. That's the context. That's the theme. They don't trust one another. They don't love one another in the church. They're divided. They have many teams, and they're just at odds with one another. Like, this is, if any of you, you know, are old enough to remember Jerry Springer, like, that's what's going on in the church. It is a, I, it is crazy. It is crazy. It is, it is a show. That is what it is. And so Paul is rebuking them now for the way they're behaving. And he expects them. He expects them. He's already said, I expect you to grow up. I expect you to mature. I expect you to stop drinking milk, you know, uh, but in, in, in eating some meat and getting to work and being a mature Christian. That's what he's been saying to them. He's like, man, the way you're handling your conflict with one another is unbecoming of Christians. And so he's expecting them to be mature enough to handle their own conflict. And to handle it among one another. And so uh, he, he's, he's saying they, they shouldn't be needing to sue one another and take one another to court. Because he's talk, he says that they're incompetent to try trivial cases. Now what is a trivial case? This is a very important. And this word's going to come back. In, and this, is, this sets the context for a lot of what we'll speak to later. Is trivial cases, that, what that means is minor cases. This is inconsequential type cases. These are the, like the case, like I described, like where you're house-sitting for someone and, you know, you leave the back door unlocked and, uh, or open and, you know, the AC bill's high and they want to sue you because, like, for 30 bucks. Like, that's the type of thing that was going on in consequential lawsuits, frivolous lawsuits. Um, maybe it was in business dealing. So, you know, it's a great thing uh, for, for Christians to go into business with one another. Or maybe uh, your lawn needs to be mowed and someone has a lawn business and you're going to pay them, contract them to do some work or, you know, electrician or plumbing. And like you just have people in the church, they want to love and serve one another and they're, they're starting their business. So you want to contract them to help you out with the stuff that you need. That's awesome. That's good. Some of you know this very well. Like, I, I, we, we, you have dealt with Christians, uh, and you've, you've had them do a particular job, but they didn't do a very good job. They didn't do a very good job. Maybe they cut corners. Maybe they, they lied to you. Maybe uh, the deal went bad. Maybe it just, it just, 
they weren't honest, they, and this is, they, they lied, uh, and maybe they broke something or, or cut a corner, and it ended up affecting you and costing you more, and you're like, what do I do here? What do I do? Well, what they were doing is like, all right, let's go to court. And, and Paul's saying, hey, you should have been able to figure this out among one another. And so whether it be, you know, someone mowing your lawn or you're trying to sell a car and they dealt it and, you know, they, they sold it to you and, and they, they, oh, they forgot to tell you or maybe maliciously forgot to tell you, uh, you know, the, the, the transmitter's not working very well and, you know, it, it might go out. They, they forgot to leave that detail out. You get it three weeks and your you know, car's done. Like that's not right for a Christian to do so. Christians should be known for dealing well with one another and, and being honest and actually the most honest type of people. But here's the reality. Uh, Christians are sinners just like everyone else. And so sin is real. Shame is real. Guilt is real. And so that when it actually plays in real life at real times, it can get muddy and messy and complex. And, and, and some of you have experienced that. You, you, you're like, I don't even want to deal with Christians because Christians are the worst. I can't sue them if something goes wrong. So I'm going to deal with people I can sue. I don't know where you're at. Maybe some of you are like, I don't even know. I've never asked anyone for help. And so maybe I should. This is why. But the, here's what I'm saying is that Paul is, is, is saying that you should be mature enough in the church to work together with one another, not immature to where you're like, oh, I can't, I'm not going to ask anyone in our church to, to serve or, or to help me or I'm not going to contract anyone in our church to, to do business with because you know what? If something goes bad, I'll have to see them at church. I'm afraid of that awkward conversation. If that's you, you're immature. Also, you're immature if you are the type of person, because you, you're immature because you don't want to deal with conflict. That's not maturity. And so the other type of person is, you know, uh, they messed up, so I'm going to take them to court. That's immature as well. Paul is knocking all of the immaturity that exists among the people of God. The church should be a place in which God's men and women are honest and work hard and do a good, honest labor. They, that's what they should, that, that should happen. Additionally, the, the church should be a place where if, there, if that something happens and sinners sin like we do, that you should be able to resolve this conflict among one another. You should be. That is what, uh, uh, what Paul is getting at here. And so we should be able to handle it yourself. And so we see this principle of dealing with conflict that Jesus gives us in Matthew 18. We referred to it last week, but I'll recap it a bit. Uh, Jesus says if someone has sinned against you, He's particularly speaking in the context of the church. If a Christian has sinned against you because it happens, go to them one-on-one, face-to-face, talk to them. Tell them where they've sinned against you. Have a conversation and give them an opportunity to own up to it, to admit to it, to repent, or to maybe there's a misunderstanding. Maybe there was disagreement. What is going on? Talk to them face-to-face, one-to-one. If that doesn't work, it says, hey, Jesus says, bring a couple more uh, uh, faithful uh, brothers or sisters in Christ and bring them with you. And then y'all should have a conversation. And so you go, you get two or three other brothers and sisters come with you. They're witnesses. They listen in on this conversation going, hey, uh, last time we talked, um, you know, I brought these, this to you. I, you know, you, you left the door open. I, would, I really need the 30 extra bucks. Like, could you do that? And they look at the, the two witnesses and they're like, yeah, man. I think you, you, you owe them, you know, like, they, they, they solve it between one another. And if that still doesn't work and there's no, there's no way of solving it, 
Uh, Jesus says, then bring it to the elders, elders in the church, and then they, sh- they can handle it. If, if the sin is so grievous that you can't handle it, and there's unrepentance, or, uh, there's an unrepentant person from one to one, and then when the two to three are gathered, and then when the, they're brought before the elders in the church, if they're still unrepentant and, and hard-hearted, and they won't submit to Jesus' word, will, or ways, then there's this excommunication process. And you're like, really over something frivolous? The point is it should have never got to that point. One to one should have worked. One to one usually works. Two to three often works. Problem is, Christians tend to opt out of all of them. They either do one, they, they go straight to the, the end, I'm going to cut them off, not talk to them, uh, they're evil, they're wicked, uh, you know, let's do lawsuits. Or they're, oh, I just, I can't say anything to them, because then it would be awkward. So then you just live in bitterness with one another forever. Neither are the case, or the way that you handle conflict, and neither uh, is, are the option that Jesus gives to us to do. And so Paul is appealing not just to, for them to know how to deal with grievous cases like we saw last week where uh, a dude has his, his father's wife and they're sleeping around together. They should be able to try that case, but they all should be able to try trivial cases, minor, small, inconsequential cases. So... He says, that, that's what he says, trivial cases, that's the first thing. That's how you should handle them. Second thing, he says, why are you, doing, why are you taking trivial cases, uh, a case that is simply a case between something minor and it's right or wrong? Did, did you wrong me, yes or no? Like real simple, right or wrong. Instead of going to Christians who should know the difference between right and wrong, you're taking these cases to the non-Christians, the people who don't deal in righteousness, you're going to unrighteous judges, he says, that don't deal in, with God's sense of justice. You're, you're, you're actually, this is even more foolish, that you're going to unrighteous judges on matter of right and wrong. When they don't know what right is. They don't know what wrong is. Maybe they do. But, but in this case, like, shouldn't the, the Christians know right from wrong? Like, yeah, it's not working. That may be a bigger issue. It doesn't mean you sue them, but th- that's what Paul is addressing. This doesn't make any sense when they're forsaking their Christian community, Christian care for such trivial minor cases. If the non and so here's the reality though, if the non-Christian courts, hear this, if the non-Christian courts are more righteous and just than the Christians, we have a huge problem. We have a huge problem. The indictment then, therefore, is on the church. The call to repentance is on the church. If, if those who don't know God, who live more righteously like God, than the Christians in the church, we have a big indictment on the church. So either way, the point is here that, that this shouldn't have escalated to the point to where, all right, these Christians are suing one another, taking one another to court over some small, small action. So Paul is urging them to, to, to ask the men and women in the church to, uh, to, to come alongside them, to help them with their cases. He says, y'all should know how to do this. Actually, do you not know you're going to judge angels? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Like, that's his point here. That's the third thing I want us to see that, you know, some of you are like, really, I, I really did not know that. I did not know. Uh, I remember the first time I saw this, like, you know, maybe 12, 15 years ago. When I read this, I was like, I, I didn't know this. I read it. I was like, do you not know that you're to judge angels? Like, yeah, I don't. I didn't know that. And so I went on this search. I'm like, oh, wow. It's actually, when you read through the, 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 the scriptures, it's abundantly clear that we will. And so in, in Daniel 7, in uh, 7.22, also Matthew 19.28, Jesus says it. In Luke 22.30, Jesus says it. Revelation 3.21, we see that God's people, Christians, 
the saints will participate with Christ in his final judgment. Wow, you're somebody like, wow, that's, that's really cool. You're not doing it based on your own merit. You're not doing it based on your own judgment. You're doing it based on the judgment of God and his word. And therefore, we will stand alongside King Jesus and, and judge uh, the, the fallen angels who we know as demons. They will be judged and condemned according to God's word, will, and ways because of their rebellion. And the righteous Christians, those who know, love, and trust Jesus, who, who have been changed by Jesus, who are part of Team Jesus, who are the king's kids, will stand next to their king and, and, and issue judgment on a wicked and fallen world. Some of you are like, that sounds way above my pay grade. You're like, I don't know if I can do that. Well, let's take us back to Genesis when, when, when we, for the first commission that we got, given that was way above your pay grade too, when Adam and Eve were told that they would have dominion over the world. Like they, they didn't even know what the world was. They, didn't, they barely knew that their name was Adam and that was Eve and there was plants and there was animals and, Paul, and, and God said, hey, rule over it. Exercise dominion. Rule like me. And they're like, well, God, I've known you like, Eve was especially, I've known you God for like 30 seconds and Adam for like 28 seconds and you know like I really I really don't know how I'm going to do this thing and he's like yeah you're right you need to be dependent on me you need to trust me you need to follow me you need to listen to me you need to obey me and then you do things my way that's the same for us we should exercise judgment the way Jesus exercises judgment. We should deal with one another the way Jesus deals with, with, with people. Jesus lived a life in our place, not just for our sins, not to just you know, uh, secure righteousness that we could have, but he was also an example to us to how we should exercise, rule and, uh, uh, exercise dominion and rule and reign in this life, preparing us for the life to come. Do you not know the saints will judge the world? You're like, I did not know that. And I think the Corinthians were like, yeah, we, 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 we skipped the whole, you know, New Testament. We didn't read those verses. And, and, and Paul's kindly reminding them, hey, you act like who you are. You will be uh, with Jesus, ruling and reigning forever. Act like it now. Y'all should be able to handle your, your, your arguments with one another, your grievances with one another in this life. You've been saved by Jesus. You've been transformed by Jesus. We'll see later that you, they, they have been changed by Jesus. They have been given the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to live, rule, uh, and guide them, and who, 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 who helps them recall God's Word, to apply God's Word, interpret God's Word. We've been given the same Spirit that, that, that indwelled Jesus Christ, empowered His work and ministry. The church has been given the same Spirit. And He says, Okay, exercise that spirit. Rule in that spirit. Live with one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stop suing one another. Deal with your stuff between one another like brothers and sisters in Christ, not like non-Christians. That's his big point here. And so next we'll look at resolve. What do we do? How do we actually resolve grievances? How does this thing play out in real time? Because the court system is a real thing. There, are, there is a difference between trivial cases and criminal cases. And sometimes Christians will misuse this passage and blend them and, 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 and use, uh, think, use the Bible in, in certain ways that, that create harm and division in the church. So I don't want to do that. So I want to clear up some things. So next is resolving grievances against one another. Verse 4, he says, So if you have such cases... Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Again, his appeal is that, <clears throat> excuse me, that those in the church, should, because, of the, because of the issues that are going on, they should be able to be handled within the church. They're trivial cases, not criminal cases. He says, I say this to your shame. 
I want you to see this. Last chapter, he said, I don't want to shame you. And this time, he's saying, I want to shame you. I just, this is what he's saying. Do we believe that, uh, uh, that Jesus takes away our shame? Absolutely. Is he doing this in such a way that he, he's hoping that they, um, you know, feel so guilty and that they, they hate themselves? Absolutely not. But he is trying to make a point. I'm, he's like, you are acting so shameful. So I say this through your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? See, that's the point he's saying. He's like, you, you, there's no one in the church. There's no one here that can handle this. Like, y'all went through every possible way of doing this. Y'all, y'all went one-to-one. You, you saw your brother sinned against you, so you went to him personally. You had a conversation with him, and he rejected that. He refused to repent, so he brought two or three trusted brothers or sisters involved in that conversation. You know what? It got messy, and that person said, no way. I will not repent. I am against repentance, and, and then you brought him to the elders. The elders spoke into the church, and man, you did all of that, church. You did it, and, 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 and it's still happening. No, you didn't do any of it. I'm saying it to your shame. That's what he means by that. The shame is that you didn't do anything Jesus' way when the first sign of conflict hit, you opted into the strategy of the world. How often is that true in your life? Whether you're like, I'm not suing people. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, but, But what is it that when conflict arises in your own heart, you move quickly to the world's way of dealing with it? Is it gossip? Oh, someone, oh, I got to tell someone about this. You heard what they said? I heard what they said. Oh, I actually wasn't in the conversation. I just overheard them talking about something that I had no context for, but it sounded like it wasn't very good. Like, this happens. Like, you'll hear someone, oh, they were in the bathroom talking. I, I think that's where a place where people go to talk sometimes. You know, uh, yeah, I heard overheard there. You know, they, they were talking. Or you, something happens, and immediately you want to you pull out Peter and pull out your sword, and you want to fight. What did you say? Like, yeah, I wasn't talking to you. This has nothing to do with, like, do we want to handle our conflict like Jesus or like the world? Is your first reaction to handle conflict, grievances with other brothers and sisters in Christ like Jesus has taught us or like the world? If, you're, if you are, your, your, your first inclination is to act like the, the world, then Paul says this to your shame. You should know better. You should know better. I'll say it in the context of this church. If you're regularly attending, sitting under God's word, you should know better. Like it is said to your shame. I'm not saying it to make you feel like I have some sort of hatred towards you. I'm just saying we should know better, brothers and sisters. We should treat one another differently. We should not be treating other Christians like the non-Christian world treats one another. Cancel culture that happens in the context of the church is, is absurd to me. The way we, we act like the world in, in those regards. We mock them, we, we, which I, I love doing. Uh, but, but oftentimes we will turn and then use the same tactics on ourselves, on one another, our own brothers and sisters. It should not be so. It should not be so. He says this to your shame. And so to repeat it, he says, can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? So what was also going on in the church is that while this was happening, everyone else is watching. And they're going, mm, well, I can't say anything. 
well, if I say something, then it'll be awkward. Um, if I say something, this prayer meeting is going to go extra long. I need it to stop real quick so I can get home. I, if I say something, then now I'm involved. Like, it's just all the reasons that we make to not get into other people's lives in order to call them to repentance, to point them back to Jesus, is, is to our shame. It's to our shame. But he says, verse 6, but brother goes to, 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 to the law against another brother. And that before unbelievers, so he's saying you're, you're taking one Christian brother to court in front of unbelievers. Now they're watching you. Now you look like a spectacle and not the spectacle that you're supposed to look like. You're supposed to look like the dudes who are suffering for Jesus, the, the men and women who are dying in the, the, uh, you know, for the cause of Christ. That's the spectacle. When you're getting thrown to lions, all that stuff that we talked about recently of, of what was going on to the apostles, that's the spectacle. But instead, they've opted for the other spectacle, the, to suing one another, taking one another to court for frivolous, foolish things. So non-Christians are looking at like, why would I need your Jesus? Your Jesus can't even help you in some normal, everyday stuff. Y'all are filling up the court system with frivolous, foolish stuff. How many people at your work and your job and where you're at go like, man, the way you handle conflict as a Christian isn't any better than the way I handle conflict. See, Christians, we should be so changed, so different that the way we handle conflict, the way we handle grievances, the way we handle when someone sins against us should change other people's perspective on, 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 the, on everything. We go, wow, how did you handle it this way? I, I just can't even fathom how you did this. The answer is you did it by the power of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Like this is, you, you, you handle things differently. You should handle things differently. Verse 7, it says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You're already lost, both of you. You went to court, you lost. It doesn't matter what you won. He says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not be, rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. You, it would have been better if you just lost that 30 bucks than taking that dude to court for the, you know, the whole watching your house thing. You, you, you should have just let that one go. You should have suffered the, the being wronged. Give them forgiveness. Keep the unity in the context of the church. Again, trivial cases, not a criminal case. Um, but instead, you are now seeking to defraud him. It's not that you want justice. It's not that they're going to court for justice. They're even going to defraud one another. They're even engaging in the legal system in an unjust way as well, just like the world. They're not seeking justice. They're seeking vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's. It's not yours. So Paul's rebuking them for this. There was a friend of mine uh, that, 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 that was in a business deal with some, with some uh, other Christians. And so I've seen a lot of these things play out firsthand. Uh, this one was the business deal went bad. Uh, they, they had they'd been in business a while. There was uh, just some things that had happened. There was some lying and there were some, uh, there were some disagreements that, that ended up happening. Well, they were Christians. They were going to the same church. And so what ended up happening was they called the pastor and said, Hey, we've been at your church for 20, 30 years. We have been in business as long as we've been in church we're now no longer business partners. We are at, we're fighting each other. 
So one of them calls the pastor and says, hey, hey we, I've, I've approached them one-to-one. I, I brought others, the counsel in. And then now, like, we're just not seeing eye to eye. Can we get your counsel? Well, here's the reality. It didn't go well. The, per, the, the two parties could not find an agreement, uh, even with, with, with it being sought to be done internally and in the church with one another. And so the one who was wronged ended up saying, you know what, I'm going to cut my losses. Like, I'm going to, I'd rather be defrauded than continue to push this case. Like, there's not a case, like, I, we could go to court, we could talk. It's just, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. This is my friend. This is my brother. This is just not worth it. I'd rather lose some money and suffer being wrong than continue to fight this, this battle here. Now, here's the reality. You say that, and you're like, oh, that's so godly. No, here's the deal. You've still got to suffer with hurt. you still got to suffer with pain. you still got to struggle to, like, I don't know, do they go to church together? How does that work? You know, how, do you look? How does that work? Bitter, you have to deal with bitterness. You have to deal with unforgiveness. Like sin continues to permeate in our heart and must be confessed, must be fought, must be repented of, even if you go, you know what, I'd rather be defrauded. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sue you. I'm not going to take you to court. It doesn't solve anything. Paul is not saying that, okay, just don't sue him. It solves everything. He's not saying that. He's saying, no, you got to still, there's a lot of junk you still got to deal with. If they've defrauded you, they've hurt you, now there's bitterness, now there's sin. you got a lot of work to do. And so what Paul is not advocating for is just simply just don't go to court. Whatever you do, Christians, don't go to court. He's saying deal with your grievances with one another. And that's hard. And that hurts. And that leads to to pain. That leads to awkward conversations. That leads to, to sometimes you have to own up to being wrong and confessing sin, repenting. It's not an easy road. But it is the path that Jesus called us to. And so... I want you to see that just because you don't go to court or, you know, someone has sinned against you in church and you've forgiven them and maybe they've, they've, they've dealt poorly with you, that doesn't mean you don't have contracts. It doesn't mean you don't call people to repentance. It doesn't mean you don't, you know, do your best to protect you and your family. But sometimes at the end of the day, Paul is saying you might have to be suffer- you might You might lose out a little bit. But are you doing so for the sake of, of your brother? Are you doing so for the sake of, uh, of, your, of, of, of the church? Now, hear, hear me say this. He's talking about sins, not crimes. It's a big difference. So some of you just inserted like you know, crimes into your mind when you're talking about, what if they do this? Well, yeah, if they do a crime, it's different. Criminal activities, difference. There's a difference. See, the state, Romans 13 tells us that the state has jurisdiction over criminal activity. And the churches deal with sins. Not every, yes, crimes are sins, but what I'm talking about is non-criminal sins the church deals with. But in Romans 13, Paul, the same author of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul who writes Romans 13 who says that the governing authorities, the state, the governing authorities are, are to wield their authority to do two things. Number one, punish evil and to uphold what is good. He says they've literally been given the sword. Like, to do that. If they choose death, like, they've, given, they've been given the power by God to, to exercise, to use the sword, to wield it in order to uphold what is good and to punish evil. That is the job of the state. And so when it comes to criminal cases, the state's responsibility is to uphold what God says is good 
and punish what God says is evil. The state does not have the right to change what God says is good, and the state does not have the right to redefine, redefine evil. That is, that is not what Romans 13 says. That's also an entirely different sermon that I don't have time to preach. But if you want to, we can talk afterwards. Paul is talking about sins here in Corinth, not crimes. Sins are supposed to be dealt with internally. Crimes go to the state to wield the sword, to punish evil, uphold what is good um, according to God's word, will, and ways. So to be clear, Paul is not telling, be clear, Paul is not telling the Corinthian church to handle all disputes between people internally. And so he's not saying there was a, a sexual assault allegation against one of the church members. Y'all should handle that personally. Make sure you don't tell the media. Make sure you don't tell the police. Make sure you don't tell anyone. Christians should work that out together. You should just be able to figure it out. Or maybe a, 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 a husband is, is physically abusing his wife, and, it, and she's like, you know what? I can't go to the police. I got to go. You know, we got to handle this within the church. And the church goes, you know what? Yep, we can't call the police. We got to keep this internally. That, my friends, is also shameful, despicable, dishonest, vile, criminal. Churches have, been, have, have, have wrongly understood this passage. Some, because of they just misunderstood it and misapplied it, but then there's others who have maliciously misapplied this text, and in, in, in doing so, they've created and, and they've committed crimes themselves, telling their, their, their parishioners that, hey, you know what, we can't talk about this. I know that was a criminal act. We can't talk about it publicly because, you know, it says, like, why would we talk about this among, why would you go to court with non-Christians? See how easily this can be twisted? Or someone's like, you know, I have a verse. Why would you do this? Why, wouldn't you rather be defrauded? Wouldn't you want to continue to be harmed by your husband who's beating you? Why, wouldn't, you wouldn't you want to continually be sexually abused by your, you know, your, uh, your, your, your father or your, your uncle or whoever's in the church? Wouldn't you want to? I mean, that's what the Bible says. Despicable, vile, wrong. It has been, this passage has been used to do this in churches across our country. And it is to our shame. It is to our shame. But I need you to see that this text is not suggesting that. Not even any, in any sense of the imagination. It's not suggesting that at all. So to, to assume wrongly that, that the cases that he's referring to would, would perhaps become criminal. And you're like, well, what about a criminal case? Yeah, criminal case, you call the authorities. Period. Don't call me. Hey, uh... I need you to, no, they, they've got a gun in there at my house. Don't call me. Don't call, call someone different. Thank you that you'd call me. Actually, no, don't thank, don't. Don't call me. Don't call me for that. Or I'm going to tell, and I don't know how many times I have, sadly, heard stories and said, hey, did you call the police? They're like, no. Especially when it comes to domestic violence, sexual assault, happening. It's despicable. Like, we can't do anything. We've seen it. We've seen it. And so now Christians are saying, so Christians should be, if, you're, if they're convicted of a crime, that's, that's, that's a real reality. And so I also want you to see that just because one has been convicted of a crime doesn't mean that they're not repentant. 
I do need you to see this. Because there, there, there does mean that you go through God's ordained channels, um, and, but it does mean that a member in good standing could be a former wicked, vile sinner. Paul, who's writing this, who was, he was first a, a Christian killer. He was a murderer, then got saved. I don't want you to miss the reality that, there, that for, for, for those who have uh, committed great crimes, uh, that the mercy and grace of Jesus can pursue you, save you, transform you, and change you. Uh, there was, in one of the last churches I was at, um, there was a, a, he was a friend of mine. He had, uh, he, and this is, this is typically what happens. This is how it's done well, is that, uh, that he was, uh, as, as he was a sex offender, um, and so he brought that to us. He's like, I'm, I have been convicted of this. Uh, I should never be around kids. And we're like, amen. We agree. Um, he's like, you, I, you run a background check on me. You can see. I'll tell you the whole story. It's really out open and public. But Jesus saved me. He's transformed me. I'm not the same man. But I understand that because of my sin, I can never do. I can never serve in the kids ministry. I can never do. And I, I, I just can't. And so I've got to put guardrails around my life. I need accountability in these regards. I just, it just can't happen. I've seen that. I've also seen guys who've come before, and they've never made it into our church because they sit down and they say, you know what? Uh, people say I'm a sex offender, but I'm not. Get out of here. You'll look into it and you'll find out that so-and-so said this and like, I know they were underage, but you know, that's not really what happened. They just lied. No. Like, that's, I've seen what it looks like to hide your sin and be a predator and try to come into a church. And I've seen one who's been transformed. And I, and, and I need us to see that we, we, God has given the elders of the church uh, to, to the church to protect the church. Because Churches are often a place for predators to come in, vile people who want to harm the, the people of God. Why? Because churches are, are full of grace. You're like, yeah, aren't they graceful people? Yes, Jesus has a lot of mercy and grace. So sometimes people will think that they can come in and, and manipulate uh, Christians and, to harm them. They're wolves. They need to be shot, not physically at all, just not allowed to be around the sheep. But then there's folks who were once wolves, like the Apostle Paul, who've been saved, changed by Jesus transformed by the gospel and they they want to get back in the context uh, of the church there we've got to have pathways uh, for that to happen but we have to do so in ways that protect the sheep and also protect the people who have sinned like paul when he first got saved he when they came to the church and, and they, they, the, the the apostles they were like in their prayer meeting they opened their eyes probably like when they said every every head bowed every eye closed they saw paul and they're like i'm not closing my eyes this guy might take us out he had to prove himself to them. They didn't trust him at first. What I'm not saying is that just because someone's been saved uh, and, uh, and they, they've committed egregious sin, they, they've been saved, they've been transformed, and they come and they just tell, oh, come on in, brother. We trust you. No. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. I hope you're hearing what I'm not saying here in this passage. Because I've seen this passage used incorrectly to harm other people, and I do not want to see that. But I also understand that some of you, 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 I, you may know somebody or I, I just, I don't know everybody here. And I just need you to know that there is mercy and grace, salvation and transformation in the gospel of Jesus. And so we seek to, as a church and as an elder team and as a, as a team, a, a, a staff, elders, deacons, everyone together to create an environment that's going to be safe for women and children to flourish, to thrive, to grow as God has intended to, them to.
And so we would rather be upfront about that and clear. Oftentimes when you're upfront and clear about these things, it weeds out those who would seek to come in here to disrupt and, and cause problems. A couple more things to clear up about this passage just so that we have a good understanding of this particular point here is that this does not mean Christians can't go to court. So there's another belief that Christians, like, why can't Christians don't go to court? Like, sometimes it's necessary to go to court. You're like, man, I lost custody of my kids because, you know, Christians can't go to court. You're like, I'd rather be defrauded. Like, there's, there, I've seen misuse, wrong, use, demonic uses of this text. It's not what it's saying here. It's not saying Christians can never go to court. He's saying, do not go to court for dumb things that could have been solved in a one-on-one conversation. That's what he's saying. If you need a definition of what dumb is in this context, we can talk afterwards. But I think it should be clear. The non-criminal, everyday sin, I shouldn't have done that, but I can confess, own up to it, pay my 30 bucks, I stole from you. I can, we can resolve that. Not egregious, criminal offenses. And so he's not saying that Christians can never go to court. He's also not saying, he's not forbidding, that Christians from suing non-Christians. You're like, well, I can't sue you. And a non-Christian says, yeah, you can't sue me because you're a Christian. I've read the Bible. Okay, well, you haven't. Uh, it says I can't sue Christians for dumb things, but I can sue you for this. Like, I, it, it, it could be a thing. I don't know. And so you may be in business dealings, and you may be in law, and where you're like, you have to sue people. That's like your job. Like, that's okay. It's okay to sue people. For the right things. Need us to understand this. This is not saying, so some of you are like, I, I'm in college, you know, I can't be a lawyer because, you know, I can't sue people. Like, so, so now we have no Christian lawyers. Awful world to live in. Correct? Correct. We need godly men and women to enter the workplace wherever God has called them and serve in a way that honors Jesus in every sphere and every domain that is available for us to live and work in. But we do so according to God's standard, his word, will, and ways. And so what the Corinthians are doing, he's not, he's, he's not forbidding them to, from, from going to court or even perhaps sometimes for the right reasons, filing a lawsuit. Uh, what he's saying is the litigation, the legal system is God's servant, Romans 13, to serve God's people, to uphold what is good, to punish evil, and we should live in light of that. And so if necessary, you, you can uh, the, go to court. Uh, these are tools, servants of God, so... Uh, you know, conversations within the context of the church, Christian community, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, dealing with things one-on-one, two to three, uh, that, that is necessary. That's a tool. There's also a tool for the legal system to go through that process. Both are tools. You got to know the difference between a sword and a knife. The Corinthians are trying to exercise, they're trying to wield the sword when they should be using a butter knife. That's the big idea here. That's what's going on here. And so uh, if someone offends you, let's get to now back to reality of where we're, we, where we're at and what I see among uh, our, our current world and our current day and age, that what grieves me is that, that many Christians nowadays are, are no different than the Corinthians. And so many, they may not be suing one another because that just, we don't have the money to do so, uh, but we're, we're certainly unwilling to deal with our sin in the context of Christian community. And that's, what's gr- that's, what's, that's what grieves me, is that we've we got to be willing to deal with our sin, our sinning against one another in the context of community. What happens in our day is if someone offends you, 
If someone says something you don't like, a breakup happens, or, or something trivial, according to uh, uh, what, what Paul has already said about trivial cases, what ends up happening is people just go to another church. I don't want to deal with this. I, just, I can go to the church down the road. Or I can go to a big enough church to where I can sit in the, the back and they sit in the front where they'll never see. Like, we just, I don't want to deal with this. Don't want to tell anyone about it. Don't want to confess it in the context of community. I will just hit the eject button. I need you to see that the Corinthian churches were going to court as a custom of their non-Christian world around them. Christians today have adopted the non-Christian worldly consumerist culture and they treat church just like a consumer. If I'm not getting what I want, when I want, I'm going to the one down the road. Problem is, the churches in, in our city, but also our nation, are shrinking. There's, they're becoming less and less. The Corinthians didn't have another church to go to, so they just settled it in court. Both are immature. Both are not the path of Jesus. But the point I'm making is that when we, when we don't commit to a church, when we're not involved fully in the church, we don't want to submit to the spiritual leadership, the spiritual authority. We, want to, we don't want to be in accountability. We don't want to uh, grow in the context of community. What ends up happening is when conflict arises, you just leave. It's like whatever gym you go to or whatever social club you're at, you're, you're, you're all good and everyone's fun and everyone's friend, friendly until something happens. It's like, oh, they, did you hear about that? They're in a fight. They, they did these things. Oh, we don't like that person, so we're going to the next gym. Like, it happens everywhere. It happens in the church. And, and so you, you need to understand that if we do not learn to deal with sin in our own heart, that we are not the type of people, who, if, we, if we do not learn how to be the type of people who are going to follow Jesus with everything we have. And therefore, that means we've got to fight sin when it arises in our own heart. In our own heart. Be willing to confess our sin. Be willing to repent of our sin. Acknowledge our sin. Walk with Jesus. Continuing to fulfill the mission he's given us. Which is what we aim to do in our community groups, our discipleship groups. The preaching and everything we do, we want to do these things. We want to follow Jesus. We want to continue to fight our sin because it keeps us from Jesus. We want to continue to fulfill the mission Jesus has given us. That's the objective. We're trying to do that in the context of community, establishing his kingdom in this city. We're aiming to do that. If you're going to do that, you're going to aim to do that, you're first confessing your own sin in your own heart. You're dealing with your own junk. And then when your junk intercepts you know, someone else's junk, there's problems. So instead of hitting eject, you're willing to work through stuff one-on-one. If that doesn't work, you bring brothers and sisters in Christ in the church that you're trusted together. If that doesn't work, the elders can get involved, but that should be, that should never, I mean, it could happen, but it, oftentimes it doesn't need to happen if the first two things happen. So I need us as a church, if we're going to move forward and we're going to be the type of people Jesus called us to, to establish his kingdom in this city for his glory and for the good of others, we've got to be the type of people who are willing to resolve their grievances with one another according to God's word, will, and ways, not hit eject, go to the, the next church down the road or wherever, start your own house church, who cares what it is, it, where you cannot have accountability, where you cannot be around spiritual authority, when you can just, just, just do things your way but just because someone said something you don't like or they didn't do things your way. I need you to understand, if you ever find a time in, in, in life of this church where things are not going your way, just ask yourself the question, does God want to change me in this? Just ask, start there. You're like, well, easy for you to say. No, I live it every day. I'm like, nothing's going the way I want it. Nothing is. It never has. 
Because this is not my church. This is Jesus' church. I'm wrestling with this reality all the time. All the time. And so we're going to end with this. The good news is that you and I are, if, you're, if you know, love, and trust Jesus, you're, we're blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ. We're Christians. Jesus has saved us. This should change how we view one another, change everything. Because the reality is Jesus changed us. And that's what we're going to end with. Jesus changes people. And so either you have put your faith in Jesus and have been changed, if that's, that's you, or you're in another group of people, you haven't been. You're the same person you were uh, every single day of your life. You don't love Jesus. You don't trust Jesus. You don't think about his word will in ways. You don't follow him. Uh, you don't submit to him. You don't do anything his way. Some of you, that may be you. You're not changed. Just because you walk in the, the door of a church does not make you a Christian. Just like, you know, if you were to live in your garage, does not make you a car. Like, it, you got to know, love, trust Jesus. You got to be changed. And so there's two groups of people in here, those who have been changed and are being changed, and some whom Jesus wants to change today. He says it this way in verse 9. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So he's, he's being clear. There's, there are teams. There's team Jesus, and, and he's the king, and then there's the, the rebels. There's those who inherit the kingdom and those who don't. Jesus wants to adopt people on this team. He wants everyone to be saved. He wants you to join the team. But the enemy wants you to be deceived because he says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. We live in a world that loves to deceive us. He says it this way, neither will the sexual, so not only the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, but neither will the sexually immoral. We talked about that at length last week. That means anyone who, uh, the, the, uh, who has a practice of sexual sin um, or having sex with anyone other than their spouse in the context of, of marriage uh, between one man, one woman, one lifetime, if that's your pattern, that's what he's talking about. Or idolaters, those who put their hope, trust, love, and anything other than Jesus, maybe uh, another religion, another way, crystal, some other ridiculous stuff that's not Jesus, or Jesus plus something that's an idolater, won't inherit the kingdom of God. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus anything is deception. I need you to see that. Nor adulterers, so you got, you're married or someone else is married, and you're like, I want that person to be my, my spouse or hang, hook up, hang out, whatever. Emotional, sexual, physical, adultery. If that's your practice, they won't, you won't inherit the kingdom. Nor men who practice homosexuality. That's, if you need to, to figure out what that is, I'll let you, you, can, you know what that is. Uh, nor thieves, if you make a practice of lying, stealing, you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. Greedy. You're just, man, I want everyone else's stuff. Drunkards, you're like, man, you're closet alcoholic. You won't deal with it. You won't talk about it in context of community. You're just, and I've heard it said, like, there are, you know, it's, it happens a lot in Baptist churches because so they don't believe in drinking, uh, is that they'll just all be closet alcoholics, just drunkards all the time. But they don't want anyone else to know about it. Not kingdom living. Revilers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's clear. Who you know, who you trust, who you love affects how you live. He's saying you are deceived if you think you can come to Jesus and not be changed. 
If you can come to Jesus and still continue to practice sexual immorality, to come to Jesus and still be an idolater, come to Jesus and continue to practice adultery, can come to Jesus and continue to, to live in sexual deviance and in, in, in homosexual living, come to Jesus and, and, and continue to be a thief and continue to lie, steal from others. If you come to Jesus and continue to, to live in, in, and posture yourself in such a greedy mentality that you're, you're seeking to take from others, you cannot come to Jesus and continue to stay a drunkard. All of these things he is saying, you got to come to Jesus because he changes you. He accepts you as you are, so come as you are. But he does not leave you as you are because he says it this way, and such were, were, past tense, some of you. He doesn't come, he's not saying, oh, well, we have the, you know, the, the sexual moral Christians, you know, we, they identify as sexually immoral, we have those type of Christians, we have the idolater type of Christians, we have the uh, homosexual Christians, we have the, the greedy drunkard Christians over here. Uh, some of these get both of these, they're swindlers and drunk, you know, sometimes it gets real weird. They identify as that. We have all types of Christians, false, deceived, lies, the pit of hell. Do not be deceived, church. They will not come to Jesus and give everything, your life, your sin, to Jesus and let him transform you. He changes you. Just, I mean, you're like, well, how can I get changed from my sin? Like, I'm in my sin. I see it. I know it's sin. It grieves me. It grieves God. And I just can't stop doing it. I just can't stop. Just, that's where I'm at. This is good such were some of you. You were that. But Jesus changed you. So he's writing to this church who is what? Sexually immoral. We talked about it last week. We're going to talk about later. Some of them are still worshiping idols. We see it. They were, some of them were still being adulterers. We assume then that probably all these other things, we know they were drunkards because they were getting drunk at communion. They were, they're probably still struggling and through, to, to not steal or rob from one another. They, they, it was just, they were, they were still living like the people who they once were. Paul is reminding them, hey, 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 you are not that man. You are not that woman. You have been changed. They go, well, I don't feel changed. I just still lust for these things. I still long for these things. I don't feel different. I struggle here, and it's just hard for me. And the world around me says to just give into it, and I, I'm just struggling. Some of you, that's you. It's for sure them. And he's reminding them, you have been changed. Live like it. He continues, he says, but, he goes, and such were some of you, so you were those men and women, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You were changed. Jesus gave you a new life. He gave you a new last name. He gave you the, a, new, a new family. I, I have never been adopted uh, physically, I, uh, but I have never been orphaned. I just imagine, though, you're just an orphan kid, and you get adopted into like a royal family. Just, it's got to be weird. Like, it's just got to be weird. We got people serving us. We got people now, like, giving us food. Like, we have 
multiple forks. I don't even know why. Like, what's a salad? Like, I, I, I still don't really like those things. But, you know, like, who knows what you're thinking as a kid who's adopted into a family that you go from the slums to the palace. Just imagine that, just for a moment, imagine that how, how life-altering and how weird that might be. Can we agree that that's at least minimally weird, right? I need you to understand in Christ, it's the chasm between who you were and who you are now is far greater. Far greater. So you're like, I'm a Christian now, it's weird. I know. It's otherworldly. The kingdom is not of the earth. Jesus has established his heavenly kingdom in the hearts of men and women on earth. We're citizens of a different nation, another world, and it's weird. And there's a lot of learning. It, it feels, we are more acquainted with the lives that we once had outside of Christ than we are in Christ at this point in history. But you must remember, and he's telling this church that's royally screwed up in many ways. He's not condemning them. He's looking at them and reminding them, you were once these things. Stop identifying as these things. Stop saying you're a product of your sin. Stop saying you're a product of your past. Stop saying you're a victim. Stop identifying yourself with anyone but Jesus. You once did, now you don't. Here's who you are. You were washed. You've been forgiven because of Jesus. Jesus has died in your place for your sins. He was crucified, brutally murdered for you. Remember that. That means that if, if Jesus has been risen victoriously from the grave, that means your sins, the sins that you've committed, your past, your present, your future sins, all your identity has been nailed to Jesus on the cross. And by his blood, they have, his blood has washed your sins away, as the scriptures have said. You've been washed with the blood of the Lamb. Washed, clean. We're told that, that our sins have been blotted out by the blood of Christ. We're told that Jesus remembers our sins no more. We are told that he, he separates them from us as far as the east is to the west. They are no longer, not only no longer applied to your account, but they're not recognized anymore in your account because of the blood of Christ. You've been washed. Remember that. So every time you're, you're tempted to go back to the, the, the former life, to identify yourself with, with who you once were outside of Christ, remind yourself that you've been washed. You've been cleansed. And guess what? You can't undo the cleansing. You can't take away the blood of Christ. You can't undo his salvation. If he's died for your future sins, that means when you've committed them, they've already been dealt with eternally, blotted out, no more. You were washed. Additionally, he says you were sanctified. What that means is you were made holy or set apart. So not only, you, so you get adopted into the family, the entrance is Jesus, faith in Jesus. How do you get into the family? You put your faith and trust in Jesus. He gives you, he cleanses you of sin, gives you new, new clothes, Holy righteous, you get his, 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 clean, his cleanliness, his forgiveness, you're washed. Now you're set apart. Now you're, you're, you're brought into the family. You're set apart. You're not, you, you were once not in the family, but now you've been adopted in the family. You are now set apart and declared and made holy. Amazing. 
Third, you're justified. You're justified, which means not only were you, you, so we can understand, okay, I was adopted, I was forgiven, but like, I'm still messed up. No, you were justified. What that means is two things. It means, number one, you were, you've been declared righteous. The righteousness of Christ, has, so you've been declared righteous. God, the judge, looks upon you and says, my son, my daughter, not guilty because of Jesus. But also, it's not a lie, because Jesus imputes his righteousness. That's the second thing it is. You're declared righteous through justification, and you are in Christ's righteousness is imputed to you, meaning you get credit for everything Jesus did right, which is his whole life. It's put into your account. Righteous requirement of the law given to you and to your account. So see this. Identify yourself with this. He's telling the church, this is who you are. You've been washed, forgiven, cleansed, transformed, redeemed. You've been set apart, made holy. You are sanctified, and you are continually being made holy. Additionally, you have been declared righteous, and also Jesus has given you his righteousness. This is who you are. This should change everything. Jesus has changed you. You are not who you once were. Well, I identify as this, or I still believe this. I don't care. Like, just imagine talking to Jesus, who's done all this on your behalf. It's like, I don't care what you think you are. I don't care that you think you're, you're still this. I don't care that you think, I don't care you are not. Oh, I feel dirty. You're not. I feel unforgiven. You're not. I feel unworthy. You're not. I feel like uh, 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 not a son or daughter of God. You're not. I feel like I haven't been set apart, that Jesus, you don't love me. You're not. I feel like uh, there's no way Jesus can declare me righteous. He has. Well, he he, he must be lying because he can just say something, but it's not really who I am. You're wrong. He's imputed, given you his righteousness. You are. Who do you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as who you once were? This is what the Corinthians were dealing with. Once were some of you. They're still struggling to see themselves as saints, set-apart Christians. Or do you see yourself as a beloved son, daughter of God, whom Jesus has changed, has transformed, has redeemed, has been, you've been given a new name, a new identity, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. If you are in Christ, the truth is that is you. The truth is that you've been washed, forgiven, cleansed, redeemed, sanctified, justified, declared righteous, Christ's righteousness imputed to you. That is true. If you are in Christ, that is yours. And if you are not, that's the offer on the table. That's the offer on the table. So we're going to respond. We have two ways to respond. Number one, rejoice that you've been washed, forgiven, blotted out, sins. He remembers them no more. You're sanctified, set apart, made holy. You've been justified, declared righteous. You received Jesus' perfection in your place. You can rejoice in that and allow yourself to live in light of that, live, leave here changed. Or you can receive that today for the first time. There's only two options. I guess there's a third. You could reject it and then be, find yourself being the biggest fool in here as you leave. Don't do that. 
don't do that. Our two options, receive Jesus for the first time and be changed. Or rejoice in the new identity he has given you in Christ for those who've received him. To help us do that, we're going to take communion. I want to pray. Pastor Alex will come up and lead us through that. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you have washed us by your blood. You have cleansed us of our sin. You have forgiven us of all our unrighteousness. Our past, present, future sins have been dealt with. And therefore, we have been set apart, made holy, declared righteous. And we rejoice in that. May we glory in that. Jesus, you change people. Um, and so we thank you that you've changed us. While we might see our sin seem so close to us, it might seem that we're still struggling, it might seem that, that, that we, are, we, we, we identify more with our sin than you, uh, it, help us to understand that, that there is a reality, that, that the enemy wants to trick us into believing that we're not the king's kids, but help us to rejoice in the hope and the glory of God today. Help us to, to see your mercy and grace, Jesus, and your, your, your pursuit of us and, and your righteousness applied to us and glory in that. And so as we take and eat of, of the, the bread and the cup, would we, we, we do so as, as the king's kids. And then may that lead us and transform us and to change us as we interact and intersect with one another in our life. May we therefore live differently in relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. May we live differently in the world that we find ourselves in. When we, where we live, where we work, where we play, Lord Jesus, may we reflect the reality that, that you're our God, you're our King, and that you've changed us. And changed people live changed. Bless us to that end, I pray. Amen.